0: Welcome to the latest podcast from the plastic surgery journal club each month we review an appraiser journal article typically from PRS and summarize it for you in this podcast the full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Hi, this is the March 2018 Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club, coming to you from St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, Australia. My name is Damien Marucci. I'm here with El Vandervoort, and we are discussing the lateral thigh perforator flap for autologous breast reconstruction: a prospective analysis of 138 flaps. This is from the February 2018 PRS, and it is by Tuwinda et al. Uh, from uh, a couple of centres, both in the United States uh, and uh, in Europe, the Netherlands. So, Elle, what was this paper about?
1: Um, so, this was looking at the, uh, analysing the author's experience with the lateral thigh perforator flap as an option for autologous breast reconstruction in patients where the abdomen abdomen was not a suitable donor. Um, for for a reason which may include inate- inadequate tissue scarring, insufficient perforators, or patient preference, it also um, aimed to present the surgical refinements that have been introduced in their practice since uh, it was first described. Or this flap was first described uh, for use in breast reconstruction by the same group in 2012. So it was a prospective cohort study. Uh, all patients who underwent the lateral thigh perforator flap in for breast reconstruction across three centres uh, in the Netherlands, New York and New Orleans were included. And this was over a four-year period from 2012 to 2016. They had 138 flaps in 86 patients. The majority of those were performed in the Netherlands, 103 uh, flaps, and 35 across the two centres in the US. And they had a median follow-up of 12 months. Um, The median age of patients was 47.2 years, uh, had a median BMI of 23.5, but ranging from 18.8 to 36.2. And most of them, are 36 or sorry, thirty-six were bilateral and 11 were stacked um, unilateral flaps. Um, so with this
0: paper, I think it's uh, a lot of it's a surgical technique, isn't it? And I thought that was one of the real strengths of this paper. Uh, the anatomy of the perforator, which is the base of the flap, was very clearly defined. The video, which they have, I thought was excellent. So the key thing is you're looking at a branch of the... Uh, superior branch of the lateral circumflex femoral artery, which is actually passing between uh, gluteus uh, minimus and, and medius, medius and the tensor fasciae latae, coming out through the fasciae latae posterior to the TFL uh, between it and we've got uh, gluteus maximus further around. Uh the landmarkings were very clear, you draw a drop a line from the ASIS to the upper lateral corner of the patella, it's lateral to that line. And they said that the perforance could be located with the Doppler at a level uh, with the pubic bone, it's not clear exactly what they mean by the pubic bone, with the pubic symphysis, because obviously the pubic bone's got an upper and a lower ramus, but anyway, somewhere around there, uh, they were using MRAs in all cases in order to identify the perforators. Uh, certainly here in Sydney, and I think in Australia generally, we tend to use CT angiograms, but I guess there's no reason why that particular imaging modality uh, couldn't be used to identify the perforator uh, with this flap. So. What did uh, so oh, they the this paper also spoke about a number of modifications to the originally um to d- to d- described. Um, lateral thigh flap. So, do you want to go through those? El, what were the modifications that that this group were talking about in particular? Yeah.
1: So, the surgical refinements for were um, introduced for the group from the Netherlands. Uh, only their flaps, not the ones from the US. Um, but they introduced, uh, or they they uh, altered their approach. So, they limited the width of the flap to six centimeters, whereas it was previously described up to um, be as wide as up to nine centimeters. They also made sure that to do quilting sutures. And also um, often used liposuction distally to the donor site to um, improve the contour of the thigh. They then looked at, in terms of outcomes and results, they they first outlined their indications for this flap. So in 60% of patients it was for insufficient abdominal tissue, 27.3% for scarring of the abdomen, and then 10.6% of patients went ahead with this flap because of patient preference, and they didn't really elucidate any more about that. Um, And then they presented the operative data, so their median operative time was 277 minutes for a unilateral case, 451 minutes for a bilateral case, and I thought it was interesting, the median flat weight ranged from 175 uh, grams to 814 grams, quite high, but with a median flat weight of 348 grams. Um, They then looked at their complications broken up into recipient site complications and donor site complications. So overall, they had an 8% re-exploration rate, very low flap loss and partial uh, flap loss rates, so 1.4 and 0.7% respectively, um, and 2.9% fat necrosis. In terms of the donor site complications, overall in this group, um, they... The rates were 14.5% for infection, 15 about 15% for seroma, and almost 16% for wound problems. But when you looked at the um, at the just the, the uh, cohort from the Netherlands and broke it up to into the ones that were before the surgical refinements to the donor site and those that were after the surgical refinements for the donor site, there was a, a very uh, marked reduction in the donor site. Um, complications in terms of infection um, seroma and wound problems so what were the conclusions of this paper so the conclusions of this paper was that the lateral thigh perforator flap has has low flap loss rate with moderate rates of donor site complications which can be significantly reduced with the mentioned surgical modifications in this paper um, so they concluded that it was their, It was a good second choice after DIEP in breast reconstruction.
0: The only issue I had was um, the... So they were doing all the venous anastomosis or, you know, 93% of the venous anastomosis with a venous coupler. Uh, the vessels were pretty small. Like, the, the average was 2 millimetres. Uh, normally, you know when I'm doing a muscle sparing tram or whatever, I've got vessels which are like three millimetres, sometimes even 3.5. Two's a bit small. And about 10% of cases, it was even smaller. It was a 1.5. And using a venous coupler in 1.5, certainly there was a recent paper in Paris where they mentioned that the incidence of uh, venous thrombosis was significantly higher if you were below two millimetres. Um, so the the vessels aren't that big, but I guess uh, the, the match would be good in many cases. Um, but other than that, I thought it was—I uh, thought it was a really good uh, description. Again, I thought the videos added a lot, um, and uh, I thought the authors were to be congratulated on on the on this study. I
1: agree.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to SoundCloud.com, or subscribe to us on iTunes and search "Plastic Surgery Journals." Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.